Hello, welcome to Flourish, the Semper podcast. I'm Rowan Evans. Residential colleges get a bad rap. In most cases, it's a well-deserved bad rap. It's a reprimand for a culture of inexcusable behaviour. But at St. Leo's College at UQ, there's a head of college who's making a difference. Now, if you're an average Semper reader, you'll know about our Random Acts of Respect column, where we talk to people about how to intervene in scenarios where sexual assaults look like they may be about to occur. What you may not know is the idea for that column came from hearing a speech at St. Leo's by Nina Fennell, who is a journalist and author of The Red Zone Report, which was an investigation into sexual violence and hazing at Australian university residential colleges. She's also a sexual assault advocate from End Rape on Campus Australia. That event took place in 2018, at a time when other colleges were still running scared from The Red Zone Report. It was, after all, a report which uncovered many of the skeletons hiding in college closets. The speech itself, and the fact that Steve was so willing to invite Nina to St. Leo's, along with residents of all seven colleges at St. Lucia, inspired me at the time to start up the column. More recently, I had a chance to sit down with Steve and discuss what else he's done in the position. Now, neither of the interviews in this episode go into any kind of detail about sexual violence, and at no point are we going to be explicit or really even direct about sexual violence in general. However, we are talking about broader problems within colleges and Sexual violence is undeniably adjacent to that issue. Uh, that said, if you think that it might be a problem um, for you listening to people talking about these kinds of issues, then maybe this isn't the episode for you. Please listen with discretion. Without further ado, this is my interview with Steve Foley. Right. Um, hello, welcome to Flourish. My name is Rowan Evans. I'm a wonderful host of this show. Uh, <laughs> and I'm here today with uh, Mr. Stephen Foley, who is the Head of College for St. Leo's. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Foley, how are you? Ron, hello and how are you? I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mr. Foley, tell tell us a bit about yourself. Um, Well, I am in fact a University of Queensland graduate. Um, I did my, I concluded my arts degree here in 1988. Mm. Um, I then did a diploma of education here at UQ. Um, Concluded that in 1990 and I taught um, in a Queensland secondary school for a year uh, and spent then um, two years overseas in uh, Africa, Belfast and Northern Ireland uh, and in the east end of London teaching. Um, uh, I returned from having spent time in Belfast where I started a law degree to QUT and concluded my law degree at QUT decided that I'd be the world's worst lawyer and didn't burden the world with yet another bad lawyer um, and remained in uh, education uh, but I elected um, to leave Australia for the purposes of being a teacher and taught in Singapore and Hong Kong for about 13 years and I came back to Australia um, in 2008 after having spent 13 or 14 years teaching in teaching in um, uh, local secondary schools in Singapore and Hong Kong and refereeing rugby union uh-huh. <laughs> and I came back to uh, to St Leo's College as it turned out uh, starting here as a deputy in 2009, 10 and 11 and then did two and a half years at John 23rd College at the ANU as the head of college mm-hmm. uh, and returned here to the big chair in May of 2014 where I currently remain. That's, that's a hitchhiker's guide to my life story. Yes, <laughs> 
Um, and so you've recently made a bit of a name for yourself in, in certain respects uh, in terms of uh, tackling the issue of, I guess, respect for women. Uh, Indeed. Yep. Men. Um, yep. Absolutely. What drives you to address issues like this? Look, I think, I think um, it's, and I say this respectfully, of course, I think it's a mistake to think of this issue as being about respect for women. And that sounds a bit controversial as, as a glance, at a glance, but it's not controversial because you need to take, in my assessment, a bigger step back and just actually talk about this being a fundamental human rights issue. This is about being respectful of people. And 50% of the world's population, perhaps more than that, are women. So it automatically follows that if we're talking about a, a fundamental human right, that we would, of course, be respectful of women because they're people. And so I don't, when, when I talk about this issue or when I'm mindful of this issue, I'm actually, in, to my mind, I'm just talking about a fundamental human right rather than men behaving as they should mm. around women. That, that tends to be the way in which this issue is reduced to the popular narrative. Mm. But in, in, in my assessment, it's actually a more fundamental issue than that mm. just by itself. It's about tr treating people as they should be treated. Um, and I, I guess because I'm now running what is the only single-sex male <laughs> college in Queensland and one of only three in Australia, it's brought into even sharper relief that you know, we it's important that we both walk the walk and talk the talk about the importance of this issue because we've got blokes who live here mm. and and we, my, my, my deputy head of the college and I, and so too um, our staff more broadly, are genuinely committed to this idea that we have a responsibility to be to be living, breathing role models of these fundamentally important issues. Mm. Now, I imagine simply because it has the name Saint in the, in the name that it's somewhat related to the church. Yes. Um, yes. Does it become difficult to discuss issues like sexual ethics mm -hmm. uh, in the context of being related to the church? Well, that's a, that's a, a completely reasonable and excellent question, and, and my answer remains um, that the teachings of the church are entirely reconcilable um, mm. with um, the, the modern and progressive outlook that we're considering here, mm. simply because at the, at the very root of any church teachings is the doctrine, as explained by St. John, do unto others as you'll have them done to you, mm. have it done to you. Um, and uh, it returns me to that, that central premise of the importance of... of um, being respectful of people, mm. uh, not necessarily respectful of women per se, but respectful of people. Yeah. Um, and uh, in that sense, I think that the, the Catholic the Catholic Church teachings are are very much reconcilable uh, with what we're considering here. Yeah. So, what were things like when you first arrived at St Leo's? Well, when I first arrived at St Leo's as the deputy head of college. Um, my role was effectively a day role. Mm. So I used to turn up to work in the morning at nine o'clock and I'd go home at five o'clock in the evening. And even though I heard whispers about the sorts of conduct that was normal here, mm. I never actually really saw it because most of it occurred after hours. There was one appalling event that used to occur um, during hours and on my first exposure to it, I was simply stunned to think that we could possibly have that event. Um, on this campus, let alone at this college. Um, when I returned in 2014, I lived in for the first six months of the appointment. I still actually live in St. Lucia, but um, I actually lived at the college because my wife and two daughters 
uh, were both still down in Canberra as they were relocating up at the end of that year. And there was conduct going on. I remember clearly waking up, being woken up at about 10 to 12, 10 to midnight, um, one Friday morning, big like one Thursday night into Friday morning, and walking out the front of the college just where you walked in, Rowan, and looking down into our snake pit. And there were, there were behaviours going on there that were completely irreconcilable with what we were publicly saying about ourselves. Yeah. And I said to our security who was on that, and I said, what's going on? And he said, oh, look, they'll be finished by, you know, one or two in the morning, and then they'll walk out, and they'll go down the front, and they'll head off into town when they feel like it. And I said, well, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. He said, that's what they do. I said, no, that's, that's not what they do. That's not what's going to happen. Um, so I walked into what we call our snake pit, which is still called a snake pit, by the way. I turned on the lights and said, right, you blokes, this is finished now. It's stopped. This can't happen here. Once you've sobered up tomorrow morning, you three guys, I knew who the leaders of it were, come and see me and we'll talk about this. Now, without boring you with the, the details of what they were doing, I can simply say that the behaviours that were normal or were regarded as normal and that which if I challenged and removed from this community, I was told I would destroy this community, the reverse has actually happened. We've now got people who are proud of the conduct that informs the way in which the men of this place live and work and deport themselves. Doesn't mean to say that they do dumb stuff. They do, that's, that's part of being a young bloke. Dumb stuff still happens. But this behaviour was behaviour from which there could be no easy return mm. in the event that the accountabilities the broader world outside were brought to bear on them they were kid kidding themselves that somehow they were living their lives in a in a sheltered in a sheltered place mm. and in a sense i suppose it is sheltered but it's not sheltered from the accountabilities of the world just outside my window here yeah. if colleges are done properly colleges are very much accountable to those norms of the broader world and in fact better those norms and um we said about we said about making those norms of the outside world de rigueur here they were mm. they were what we led, led our lives by they became the lights yeah so you mentioned that there was pushback and that the people were saying that this would ruin the, the community to mm. ruin the college other yes the yeah. College head, yeah. if you confronted it head on yeah uh, what kinds of people are saying that kind of stuff well the people who purport who purported to be the the keepers the keepers of the traditions mm. and the traditions, though, don't bear scrutiny. You, you expose the, the, the behaviours that inform the traditions for what they are, mm. and they just crumble away into nothingness mm. because they are irre irreconcilable with what we publicly say about ourselves. Right. And as, if it fails that very fundamental test, then it can have nothing, it can have no part to play in, in who we are. We're, mm. we're a young adult centre for excellence a young adult centre for formation and for growth, mm. young adult centre for um, uh, all types of opportunities and experiences. Um, and within those experiences, there goes um, uh, an invitation to have a reasonable amount of fun, good times, fun times, but not through behaviours that are irreconcilable with what St Leo's publicly says are the norms that light the college. Mm. I imagine it must be difficult for them to say that there is a tradition that exists that doesn't bear public scrutiny given that you would want something that you can claim to be a symbol. And Ron, you know what the irony is? The the motto of this college is the Lord is my light. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so in what ways has the culture changed since this incident of the snake pit? 
Um, I mean, I think the incident at the Snake Pit was just the starting point when I realised actually there were things going on here that would just need, needed to change. Um, what's changed now, I think, is that our men speak about being, uh, uh, or, or being uh, people who conduct themselves in ways that, that, are, that they can be proud of, that they can, they can hold their heads high and say, yeah, I'm a Leo's man. Um, I make I make I make choices that are um, consistent with all the things that the college says about itself. Now, of course, you know my students don't line up here and sort of swing by and, and run their behaviours past me every Friday morning after mm. Thursday night. But the co- the types of conduct that we intervene in now and say actually that that can't happen, it's changed markedly. We're now doing we're now intervening on things you know like for example you clearly had too much to drink you're being stupid. Um, you're being noisy at night. Please stop doing that. Whereas in the past, we were doing things like, actually, you know, you, you can't slide on the floor on your vomit here. I'm afraid <laughs> it's just yeah. not going to happen. Um, those types of conversations where we're we, we're we're shining a light on conduct, you go, how can you possibly do that? Mm. To which the response used to be, if you get rid of that, you're actually destroying the place. To which I used to say, <laughs> actually, you're destroying the place by saying this is part of who we are because yeah. it's absolutely who we are not. Right, sliding on your vomit, of course, probably not. That's out. That That's out. Yes. Yep. Can't um, do that anymore. So, when you say we are intervening, who, who's we? Um, um, the deputy head of college, Mark Thornton, and I um, uh, intervene uh, and have intervened as we've re- been required to intervene. Um, our dean of students, um, who um, uh, was formerly a full-time role here, he's the, the the gentleman who was performing that role has since relocated to Bourbon College of the ANU. He was part of. He was part of our intervention. We've now got a community coordinator. It's a part-time role, but mm. he too was part of that intervention. Um, and we, w- what we say to our guys now when they do cross the line um, is, tell us, you tell us how that behaviour that you have done reconciles with, is compatible with the things that we publicly say about ourselves. You, it's over to you. You, you take over. And we're not a rules-based organisation, we're a value-driven organisation. You explain to us how these choices that you've made sit with the conduct that you've just shown us. And if they can't, then we have to get involved. And But that's getting fewer and fewer in number of those interventions. Mm. So what kind of values do you publicly stand by? Yep, so we say our four, our four pillars, the four things that the community is, is, is held up on is conscience, compassion, respect and excellence. Um, and with, within, underneath that, that that those sort of headline, those headline values, um, uh, sit things a bit like what I mentioned at the outset: do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, being being uh, not not just in, um, tolerant of difference, but inclusive of, accepting of, and respectful of difference. Um, Recognising that um, hierarchy where it exists may only exist if it's meritocratic. If it's actually just a, a corruption, a corruption by virtue of you having been in a, in a place or been at a community for longer than someone else, that's not meritocratic. Mm. If there is hierarchy, it's a meritocratic hierarchy. Um, so, what we publicly say about ourselves is, you can send your son to us, and he will leave his experience. He will leave the place after having his, had his one, two, or three years with us, enriched, enhanced, nourished developed professionally, personally, by his experience and his time with us. We won't have circumstances like the unfortunate situation that occurred to me in 2017 where I was on the radio um, uh, sharing 
my observations about St. Leo's with an interviewer, an ABC interviewer, and have a mother of a, of a child who had had her son here maybe 10 years ago, who rang up ABC and, and talked about the dreadful experience her son had had. Mm. Um, so uh, those are, the, those are the, the, the changes that inform the community these days so that we, what we say about ourselves and what we, what we publicly assert about ourselves, we privately require of the men who live here. It's not say one thing, require a different thing. Mm. It's say one thing and require the same thing. Was there ever a point where uh, the idea that you were incompatible with, uh, or the, the idea of St. Leo's was incompatible with the, the community's expectation of what St. Leo's is and their traditions, uh, was there ever a point where that incompatibility made you think that maybe you should give up? Yeah, yeah, it did. It was certainly early on in my, early on in my, in my, my time here. Uh, I felt maybe in the first three or four months here, uh, I felt it was an insurmountable challenge um, and I felt that it was insurmountable um, for a whole range of different reasons, but um, one of those reasons was that I um, felt that the culture that we're talking about here now permeated the entire organisation, mm. and that my scope for my scope for addressing the cultural problems that I saw was l severely limited because of the size of the task that was, the size of the task was so great because it was, you know, it, it wasn't just the current residents who, who, who felt wedded to, not, not, not big one, it wasn't all the current residents ever, but it was you know, influential current residents who were wedded to that lifestyle. It was actually deeper into recently departed and more and, and further departed old, old students. Yeah, mm. and so what was the point where you sort of felt that it was actually a surmountable problem? Uh, probably uh, around the start of um, my second year here, uh, I felt that we had the, the systems in place, uh, we had the we had the um, reforms in place to, and also I think I had the chance to th to to take a step back and think about a systematized response to the problem that I was confronted with, and at the root of that systematized solution was making sure that the entire community was aware of what this value set was and the expectations around the value set. And it started with my mm -hmm. council, or my, my council, that's a bit presumptuous, the council of the St. Leo's College. Uh, and I was reporting transparently to them the cultures that I was, or the, the, the symptoms of the culture that I was uh, confronted by. And they said, right, we support you fully in taking this on. Uh, we introduced um, at around that time uh, meetings among uh, the students themselves, the staff, the people I'm responsible for operationally, and the council. Mm. So the entire community, well actually except for old boys, it was impossible to include those in these, but the entire community was imbued by and informed by the, the vision that I felt that we needed to adopt mm. if we were going to achieve the changes that we needed to to be genuinely a responsive institution in in the context of being at the University of Queensland. Mm. And do you think that uh, new students now arrive knowing that these are the values that you guys hold or, or is this something that people sort of have to realise once they get here? Look, Ryan, I'd, I'd love to think that the reputation of this place is now that mums and dads out there 
and boys in grade 11 and 12 think I'm choosing Leo's because it's a place where where I can go and I can grow and I can I can um, genuinely ex experience opportunity without fear of um, without fear of, of being asked to participate in conduct that I'm not comfortable with I think it's important to know to note though too that the the culture that was here um, always was always very certain that it wasn't hazing and bullying culture. Whether inadvertently it actually was or not, I don't know precisely. But it, the, the, the people who were the protagonists of this lifestyle used to be very clear that in their minds they weren't harassing, hazing and bullying. Um, I'm not so persuaded that that was the case. I felt that there was there was such an expectation of compliance with this way of life that people felt sort of pushed and herded into into that. Mm -hmm. Is there? I mean, how often do you have students who, who who turn up expecting life at college to be three years of schoolies? Almost no, never. Okay. Almost never. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the extent to which that was the case in the past, I imagine there would have been people who would have come armed with that with that forethought these days not um, on day one when we on day one when they arrive here now we receive them uh, with their mums and dads we do an induction session with their mums and dads we have our student leaders answer mums and dads Q&A style questions and mm. uh, so the idea is that there isn't there is a public accountability there's no anonymity and that's a really important thing mm. if you're going to reform a community is that there be individual accountability to the values that you publicly assert inform your community? Um, so from day one, we have that we have that um, that idea that there's a public accountability, um, and with that um, with that accountability, I think very quickly that idea that this is going to be a never-ending school is goes out the window uh, because it's clear that what's motivating and driving the experience is is not just a never-ending school. It doesn't mean to say that we don't have we don't have fun here and they don't have good parties here, they do. But on those occasions that we do those, the, the boundaries of those events are very clear. The supply of alcohol, which is, as we all know, part and parcel of this problem to the, to, until the cows come home, very clear. Um, and who's got responsibility with respect to both setting it up, cleaning it up, and making sure the event itself is is well run is also very clear. Mm. Yeah, so, so St Leo's is now the only college left at UQ that is all male. Yep. Um, do you think that there is any chance that we'll go forward in the, in the future? Look, I really hope it never does. I, I really hope that it never does. And I, I also, and the reason I hope that is because I think with clear leadership, with strong leadership, and with a shared vision, single-sex male communities are good for men. Mm. Now, I'm not making a comment on any other, any other male, com or either male community or otherwise in making this remark. But if you are alert to what are regarded as being the problems of single-sex male communities, and all you've got to do is go and look at the ad for Skype scandal or, or look more broadly afield um, interstate with respect to universities, colleges that were once single-sex male. And you can see that there is a problem with that and even some of the appalling behaviour um, that we have seen reported in the media with respect to men behaving badly Many of these men who behave badly are actually at co-ed colleges and not at single-sex male colleges at all. Um, so I very much hope St Leo's never goes co-ed. I, I very much hope that we can uh, chart a future 
but continues to be informed by the importance of uh, remembering that we need to be respectful of all all experiences of the human condition and I include with that of course the female experience of the human condition absolutely uh, and, and I think with with those informed by those values and informed by those priorities Leos and other communities like Leos can continue to thrive as single sex male communities it's interesting well, I find it very interesting that there's seven UQ colleges that house men every single one of them started life as a single sex male college our ball theme for 2019 was the last man standing the survival of the fittest and we are <laughs> um, do you think that it is a um, do you think that Leos would have an easier time of incorporating sorry, do you think that the men at Leos would have an easier time of incorporating women into their daily lives than like other colleges that are currently all clear our pillars um Look, I, I guess in a sense that's a that's a inviting me to to compare how I think we'd go. Um, I don't think we'd have any trouble whatever um, in terms of um, of our dis- choosing to be a co-ed college if we elected to do that. I don't think we'd have trouble doing it, um, but we would definitely we would definitely do it um, uh, across a, a period of years of transition, mm. as I guess any college would. Um, but I think that I think that um, if we if if we as a community decided that it was right for us to do that, um, uh, that the building blocks, the foundations are are, are, are deeply rooted here, um, in terms of the, the the respect values that I mentioned earlier, uh, and that we could do it. Um, I, I don't want to do it, not because I'm not because I'm um, not in, in favour of of mixed environments. I am. I think they're I think they're healthy. I just think that single sex men environments done well are also healthy have you found at all that that women feel more comfortable at St. Leo's in on the in, in the instances that they are entertained here yeah they are we get a lot of women here, here, here all the time in fact that's actually one of the things that we say in our in our marketing we as you no doubt are aware uh, St. Leo's is closely aligned with our sister college next door in Duchesne um, and the Duchesne women are here all the time mm. um, uh, so, you know, we we um, we have a very close relationship with Duchesne, also too with women's. I mean, they're just up the road from us, and um, yeah. So, the women who come here feel relaxed and at home. Um, but that's been a, that's also been a transition. Um, uh, there were behaviours here in the not not too distant past where where women were specifically excluded from our community, mm-hmm. and we've tried to. We've tried to um, address that, and we have addressed that. Yeah. What does that look like? The exclusion. Oh, it used to look like all sorts of nonsense thing. You know, for a while, for a while, there, the tradition used to be if a, if a woman came on site, she'd get a bucket of water thrown over her. Mm, now we give people some time off if they do that. They go and think about things on their mate's couch for a couple of weeks. Yeah. That hasn't happened. That hasn't happened here for years. Yeah. Um, uh, there used to be an, another event that used to happen that was. Um, purported to celebrate um, men not interacting with women um, and again we've rid ourselves of that um, uh, those 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 changes to uh, the way in which our guys behave around women has been critically important to arrive at what I just reported to you a moment ago which is that we've got a lot of women here who feel at home here in fact, mm. in fact lots <laughs> yeah. 
have you seen any improvement in the way that the men treat each other? Yes, I've seen it. Well, without doubt, yeah, without doubt, yes. Um, uh, there's an improvement in the way that they treat. It. Also, there's also that's because they treat each other differently, and the um, the 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 fueling of behaviour through um, I felt um, an unregulated uh, environment around alcohol or less regulated than it needed to be has been behind that though. I think no one can underestimate the importance of regulating pro properly, responsibly and lawfully regulating alcohol um, in achieving reform for community. It is absolutely the number one problem in terms of, in terms of giving people the license and the freedom, well, not the freedom, not, not, not literally the freedom, but the, the mindset freedom to conduct themselves in ways that they wouldn't conduct themselves if they were sober mm. or not as unduly intoxicated yeah. or not unduly intoxicated perhaps. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything else that you would recommend to people or like a community that is attempting such reform? Um, yeah, I suppose I would. Um, my advice to any well, I guess okay. I guess it's an, it's a, it's a hard question to answer because my experience has been actually quite a quite a straightforward experience in the sense that I've got two hundred students who live here, and I've got constitutional power to intervene, and I know I've got the support of my council in doing that. If the conduct is unacceptable, and and I've decided after a proper investigation it is, and I intervene, that's it. Steve has made his call. Um, so I'm I, I'm I. I I frame my answer with that remark because it's, in a sense, my task has been an easy task. Mm. The reforms of each community and each society, I suppose, um, are very much um, society and community explicit. So that for me to give a general observation about, you know, how you go about reform is a bit nonsensical because my experience is just my experience. But I would say this, I would say this about it. If you have a vision for achieving these changes and if you see behaviour that you know is irreconcilable with what you say about yourself and it makes you feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you should be doing something about it. And that's the measure of whether or not you're going to be successful, is whether you feel compelled to act upon that gut reaction to what it is you're seeing. Because you can write all the fancy dancy policies that you like you're never going to actually predict the actual conduct that you're seeing because there's too many different versions and variations of them. But if you see something and you know it doesn't sit comfortably with what it is that you're saying about yourself and what you aspire to, you've got to intervene. And it's got to be an intervention that's informed by that value set that you publicly say, this is who we are. Because if you're publicly saying this is who we are, but you're privately accepting this is who we really are, you will never achieve that change that you are motivated to achieve in the first place. Um, so one of the things that we try to do in our Semper column about Random Acts Respect is to just have conversations about what bystander interventions in the context of sexual assault prevention look like. Yep. I was wondering if you could tell me a, like a specific time, like an anecdote that you've intervened in a scenario that looked like it was going bad and maybe something that was like not a situation where you were in power as like the head of college. Just as a, as a, as a person? As a regular person. Um, I, I, my honest answer is I can't think of a circumstance where I've um, intervened as a person 
just as a regular person in the street um, with respect to um, uh, an unwanted sexual advance. I can't think of a circumstance where I've done that. Mm. But I, I, I can think of, of quite a few examples of where I've intervened um, when I've seen something that I know shouldn't be happening is happening and spoken up um, on behalf of someone who's being treated wrongly. Um, but but I'll, what I will do is share with you a story that of all the stories that I've got along these lines that I'm actually proudest of and it's actually a, a story that comes from my being a dad. The three most important people in my life are all women. My wife's a woman. <laughs> my daughters are women. My mum's a woman. <laughs> um, when my elder daughter was um, at kindy, she was sharing a, uh, a flying fox with two other little girls. And this one little girl pushed in in front of this little kid who uh, was waiting her turn to use the flying fox. And Mia saw this happen and she ran from the other end of the flying fox where she was waiting for this kid to come zooming through to her. And she chastised the girl who'd pushed in and, and remonstrated with her and said, you've just pushed in here, you've done this, for, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that was really selfish of you to do that. Why did you do that? And the kid just went off and you know, just ignored her and <laughs> went across to her. But, but the importance in that we have as role models, and I guess she's, she must have picked that up from my wife and me, you know, if you see something wrong, <laughs> get involved and do something. And I, I, I share that story because it's important to me as a, as, a, as, a, as a parent to think that I've given my elder daughter, who's now 15 years of age, um, as a little kid, that notion that if you see something that's wrong and you know it's wrong, don't just sort of look the other way and go, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit happens. Be part of the solution, even if it means you're being part of the solution to someone else. Because if you don't do anything, it's just gonna, it becomes the norm, you know, it becomes a norm for the strong kid to push in and, and yeah. steal the flying fox. Um, hmm. and she's still minded that way today. She's yeah. still a, a, a justice-driven person today. Would you feel comfortable calling out a peer at like a, an event? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's a, good, it's a great question. The, the short answer is no, I wouldn't feel comfortable about it, but I, I probably would. Depending, it would depend on the issue. That sounds a bit. That sounds like a bit of a weak answer, but it's the truth. Mm. If it was something, if it was something that I, I felt, oh, look, it's not that important. I will let it go. I'd probably let it go. Um, if it was something that I felt strongly about, yes, I would call it, and I have called it. Um, I have called it for both friends and colleagues' behaviours that I just don't think we can defend. Mm. And my thing is, well, I hope people who know me professionally at UQ is if you see something and you need to be honest about what that thing is and if you don't deal with it truthfully um, you're letting yourself down and you're letting down the community that you're purporting to represent or trying to reform yeah. and have, did, have, did you receive any flack for calling people out or is it um, on the chin? yeah there was flack this, thing, this incident that I'm thinking of um, there was flack for it some of my some of my Colleagues supported me in the calling it calling of it, and other colleagues didn't support me in the calling of it. But I'd call it again every day of the week. Well, that is um, 
end of my question. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Thank you very much for your time. Not at all. I'm sure you'll agree Steve Foley's efforts are noble indeed. A few weeks after I spoke to Steve Foley, our usual co-host Maddie had the chance to meet with a former resident of St. Leo's named Dan. In that interview, she and I spoke with Dan about life at Leo's and the prospect of King's College going co-ed. Now, this is not entirely a response to the interview with Steve, and Dan isn't one of these big bad opponents that Steve has faced in his time at St. Leo's, but he does offer some important perspective on how Steve's work is perceived by residents of St. Leo's. So I'm joined now by um, Dan, who is a former Leo's college student. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Hey, good, thank you. Excellent. Um, so obviously this discussion, we're going to sort of dive into a little bit about, about Leo's, its culture, and sort of especially in the context of, um, of King's, uh, King's College's decision to go co-ed. So I guess we'll start off fairly general. So um, how would you describe the culture at Leo's, or at least when you were there? Yeah. Yeah, so in my time at Leo's, the biggest focus was being in a waters college. It's about getting around your mates, is mm-hmm. the thing. And it's that big culture of mateship and camaraderie. Yeah. It's you're all living together over the course of however many years you're there. You see each other every day, eating lunch yeah. together. Yeah. You're essentially family, and Leo's tries to build that kind of element yeah. of living together as yeah. as brothers. Yeah. And that's really what is tried to be enforced amongst yeah. all years there is no matter whether you're third year and you're mates with somebody in first year, you, you're mates. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like that's true of most colleges? Yeah, all colleges. Yeah. The, the idea of living at college is you're going to be try and build that family community yeah. and that's what that's what all colleges try and promote. Mm, yeah. Um, so how would you describe the reputation of Leo students right now? Because obviously there's sort of I guess been some incidents in the past at least and I guess how do you feel that that's sort of contributed now to how maybe outsiders look at Leo's? Yeah, I think outsiders are like it's always gonna be focused on the negatives. Mm, and yeah. that being said, outsiders won't fully get to experience the full benefits yeah, of it. Yeah. So yeah. I And obvi- t- obviously when we hear about things we kind of hear the negative because yeah. that's how the news goes. That's the news. Yeah, well yeah. nobody's like nobody's gonna write an article yeah. on, you know, <laughs> on how great you yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> young men have a really good time just <laughs> hanging out with their boys. Like that's just that's not what it's gonna be about. And yeah. So you know there's if there's negative aspects of it, that tends to be what gets focused on and blown out of proportion, but at the same time, mm-hmm. that's still such a minority, and that never, that doesn't reflect the majority of the men at Leo's yeah. being, you know, good blokes. Yeah, yeah. So would you say it's still like a fairly, I guess, healthy, stable environment to be in, like for the majority? Yeah. 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 That's that's what they're. That's what it's about. It's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. For young men, a safe place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, um, so I was speaking to Stephen Foley a couple of weeks ago, and he said that um, Leo's does a lot to try to impress upon new students that this isn't going to be just some hedonistic paradise. Um, to what extent did you like ex- have that expectation before turning up? I didn't have... Was hedonistic paradise your words or his? Um, I think it was both, but we agreed. <laughs> yeah, but you both agreed, <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't have expectations of hedonistic paradise. Yeah. I was looking forward to, because I've had family go there, I've had my, my old brother, cousins and everything. Yeah. And it was never sold to me as this, you know, life of luxury, debauchery, everything you want. It was sold to me as 
a great place to be as a young man. You're gonna go, you're gonna make friends, and not just not just the guys in the college. Like I've made some of my closest friends went to Grace College, like people I trust more than anything in this whole world. And that was just because of that culture and it's where I was. That's what I chose to do as opposed to um, living in a share house, you know, I, I may not have been as experienced, uh, may not have been as exposed to all these experiences that I got to experience at college. And that was, but yeah, the more thing I was looking forward to was just a good time, but not as kind of, yeah, hedonistic as you would say. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was more, more just toned down and this was the best option for yeah. living at university, yeah. Living so, so was was that was that sales pitch like fulfilled? Like, did was your ex, did your experience match what was pitched to you before yeah. you enrolled? Yeah, yeah, that and then some, I believe. Um, mm. Just like I said, my experiences there, I've it wasn't so much while, while you're living at college. Obviously, you're you know you're friends with everybody because you see them every day. That being said, there are um, some blokes that I don't I. I still have like quite a small circle of friends but they're still people like that I met at college and they're the people that I was living in the same block as and things like that and they're still yeah the fact that it's kind of boiled down to in my time since I've left college is it's like the quality of friendships over the quantity so um, it's not like I'm still keeping in touch with 200 boys that I lived with I'm you know I've got a couple of close mates that I catch up with every week Mm. to just hang out things like that yeah so Stephen Foley says that like he's done a lot to sort of change a lot of the culture around uh, like going to Leo's and that kind of thing. Do you think that like that kind of hedonistic paradise is still at large in other colleges? And do you think that like maybe Leo students are getting something different? Um, as opposed to what Steve has changed compared to what other colleges had or or still do have, um, not really. I I so I there's kind of two sides to it um steve no doubt changed a lot in my three years at college um but that being said each college has its own identity that it builds upon mm-hmm. and that's you know it's not necessarily related to stereotypes or negative connotations to that identity mm-hmm. but it did almost feel what steve had done we felt like we'd lost a bit of our identity and right. I know he kind of believed what he was doing was good mm. and it did remove some kind of more nasty elements but at the same time it our our identity wasn't built around nastiness yeah if that if that makes yeah. sense so what were the good things that you lost yeah so it was it, it kind of became complicated because um, because it was this it was centered around mateship and camaraderie and things like that and the way I kind of experienced it was when I was in first year the third years are like your big brothers Mm -hmm. and they're having a laugh with you and everything like that the thing is I always noticed as soon as somebody wasn't having fun that it would would stop everyone would you know that because if you don't stop then it's bullying is the thing and I like I never witnessed any of that it was always it was always done to a degree of harmless fun it was never aggressive it was never forcing you to do anything you wanted to do and like mm. you know it might it might be the odd harmless prank type thing yeah. like here mate you know i got a beer for you oh thanks oh you've just put tomato sauce in that like <laughs> that was probably one of the worst things i saw it was never like forcing anybody to do anything and then 
Steve, Steve kind of tried to trying to manipulate it to this culture that he was I think it's because there was a disconnect between our administration and the student club where he saw that as you know a form of bullying and tried to crack down on it and instead it kind of drove this this wedge in the rift between not just admin and the student club but also the student club executives so there are third years and the first years so the first years who are fresh and coming in and they're ex they expose all these new experiences, whereas the second and third years who have lived it before, they they wanted to try and assimilate the first years, just just make them feel more welcoming. Mm. But instead, it it became more removed, and that kind of I, I that's what I saw was that it kind of almost backfired a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So, do you think that? perhaps a low-level bullying could lead to more serious bullying. bullying. Um, yes. Yeah. That's kind of just yeah. a natural gateway. Type. I guess, yeah. But um, it's not... Like, yeah, that's not kind of what was happening. No, no, um, yeah. Yeah, again, I can't, I can't comment on how things were at yeah. Kings, but I've... Mm-hmm. Story, stories I've heard from Kings, it was like... Yeah. It's quite different. It's, it's far more aggressive, and it's a bit more like sink or swim. Yeah, because yeah. I guess I guess we've heard a lot, at least sort of in the last couple of years, about that hazing, and like obviously yeah. most of that has come out of I think Sydney. Yeah. Um, but do you, so did to what extent did Leo's engage in that that sort of O week sort of shenanigans? Nothing in O week. The thing yeah. is, like like I was saying before, it's. The third years are like your big brothers yeah. is the thing. And that, yeah. like, for me, literally, my th- my brother was a third year. Yeah. But the thing is, at, O-Week at Leo's is fantastic, yeah. is the thing. I, I know some of the colleges, like, I know Kings has them getting up and going for 5K runs every morning. Yeah. Um, I even know um, women's have this culture where the exec, they walk around with aviator sunglasses on, dead yeah. pan the whole time. And yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah. it, it's all done for a lot. The thing is... Leo, it's never any of that. They're literally just... They're, they're brothers, they're hanging around. And the yeah. thing is, because O-Week, it's so... Like, they're such a small cohort. It's the first years and the yeah. exec and the RAs. They're always just hanging around. They'll come and sit down and have lunch with you. Ask, you know, where are you from? You know, yeah. what school did you go to? And then they'll have a bit of a chat with you. Because as far as they're concerned, like, they're trying to make mates too. <laughs> like, yeah. Everybody in first yeah. year is nervous and around each other. And you'll be like, oh, you know... Oh, I met Bill, you know, he's the VP. Oh, yeah, he's great, you know. Yeah. And we can, yeah, go have a laugh with Bill because you feel like you've made a friend now and yeah. that's yeah. how they, that's how O-Week feels. Mm. At least in the past with with having King, with Kings and Leo's both having been single sex at mm. least till this year, do you feel like perhaps some of the controversy that Kings face, maybe, like maybe the sort of image that they gained from that maybe carried on to Leo's as well? Like just as both of them were single sex, perhaps there was... Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm not trying to like say that you know, um, Leo's is all high and mighty, and Kings are the rat bags or whatever. But it's like, it it is that thing. People, there's a news report um, about Kings, all male college, University of Queensland. Yeah. Everyone goes, oh, there's two of them there. Yeah. Oh, so the other ones, yeah. And, and, but but then again, that's it's a small minority of Kingsland. It's not. That's what Kings's culture is about you know, doing all this crap. Yeah. That's, a, that's such a small minority and it's not, when you compare that to, that small minority at Kings compared to all of the, all ma- both the all-male colleges yeah. at UQ at a whole. Yeah. 
it's really just like a flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. And it's because it's because media can like latch onto that as opposed to general kind of issues that are happening at the university. Yeah. They can't attribute it to anything, but yeah. when they can attribute it to poor male colleges. Yeah. <laughs> Makes for a better story. Yeah. yeah. Um so so you've talked a lot about I guess the sort of brotherhood culture at Leo's and stuff, like like as a positive thing. Yeah. Um so obviously King's caused some controversy this year when it announced that it would be admitting women in without any clear plan to implement cultural change. Um, so how well do you think Leo's culture is set up for allowing women in, or at least, like, how was it around the time you were there? Like, would, would they have fit in in 2018 when you were there? Um, at the time, there was... It was kind of like a hushed discussion about it. No, yeah, nobody yeah. wanted to talk about what everyone was thinking about. Yeah. Because when I was there, um, or, like, colleges as a whole struggle a bit. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot to do with the media circus surrounding them. Um, but when I was there, it got to the point, say my third year, Leo's was struggling to fill beds. We had two whole blocks just shut down, no power running to them just because it was too expensive to run them. Um, meanwhile, our sister college, Duchesne, had a waiting list for members because they were that full. Right. And everyone was getting to that point where it was like, someone said, oh, well, why don't you just try and lease some of the beds out to Duchesne, you know, they can be Duchesne girls living at Leo's. And Steve himself said he didn't want to do that because to him that was as good as going co-ed. And what happened with King's going co-ed was bizarre to everybody. Yeah. The thing is that it was announced in a press release um, yeah. with no discussion with Leo's admin in particular. They had no idea what was happening. They saw this press release at the same yeah. time everybody did. Yeah. The I even heard student club executive residents at King's only found out an hour before that press release went out mm. current residents had no idea they saw the press release as well yeah and that was such a bizarre thing to do in my time at leo's yeah the culture was very set around um yeah y- your mateship and things yeah. like that so i think it does t- it would take time to adjust if you're yeah. announcing that the college is going to go co-ed it needs to be a long process i mean i don't know how long the decision making process at king's was yeah but the way to announce it like that yeah um, by the way in you know six months <laughs> when our doors open again yeah. we're going to be co-ed just just on that do you see that lack of student consultation as a problem because obviously like these sort of decision makers can be removed from the like yeah. they can be a bit like removed from the actual culture and what the actual students see so do you think that that's a problem that they didn't yeah i think stop? One of the things I noticed, again, um, with Steve, is he did great work for the college, but there was still that, you know, failure to communicate between our student club executive and our admin. And that that, that was from both sides. That wasn't just admin wasn't listening to us. It's our, our executive didn't have a way of kind of, you know, collecting what the feels and beliefs of the menace and Leos and kind yep. of communicating that to our admin, how they felt, what was doing, what, what they were doing, how that was negatively impacting us. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just led to this like nanny state that felt like a boarding school. Yeah. And the thing is, we, we kept getting told, you know, oh, it's not a boarding school here, you know, we let you do all these fun things. But at the same time, it felt like, you know, if something mm-hmm. goes wrong, you're getting called into the principal's office and you're getting told yeah. to be like a child. And the thing is, it's yeah. like, I'm a young man, 
talk to me <laughs> like yeah, like, yeah like, like, let's talk as adults yeah. as opposed to you know yeah. being, being told that you know what was happening you know wasn't what we're about here yeah. and things like that so it, yeah it got to that point where it was just there it wasn't just that there was a lack of communication it was like nobody was willing to compromise and that that was kind of what happened towards the end is that men wouldn't compromise and the boys would act out and then the boys would act out and the boys would get in trouble and because the boys got in trouble they the boys would complain to Evan that the boys were getting in trouble and then the boys would act <laughs> out again it was this vicious cycle of yeah. just no kind of yeah, no, no compromise, and that was kind of what really affected the student-admin relationship. It's like having strict parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, do you see Leo's going co-ed in the future? Um. Honestly, I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Um. I just the way it is, maybe not for a while because yeah. um things still good. That being said, I don't think I think it's because. With Kings going co-ed, we've lost that element of solidarity. So there was always the rivalship between Kings and Leos, but at the same time, there was this element of solidarity yeah. where it's, you know, we are the all-male colleges. And the thing is, nobody's commenting on Women's College of Duchesne or Grace. It's, yeah. it's what place do these all-male colleges have. Yeah. And like I said, they're important. They're important for these young men to formulate these mature masculine relationships like it's important to have that mm. and it's not that a co-ed culture would remove that but at the same time it have to be mediated to yeah, extent, I guess yeah. I, mean, I mean it's just like it's just not the same yeah is a thing and yeah. then um but that being said yeah with King's going co-ed the media spotlight is now on Leo's they're saying yeah. well what pla what place does Leo's have as an all male yeah. college, and I think the I think the problem is that needs to be shown. It needs to be shown this is what place Leo's has, and it needs to be shown why it is such a good place yeah. and everything about uh, all the positive aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what we need to be putting out there more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've I guess I've spoken to a few Kings boys in the past, and a couple of them have said a couple of them have the opinion that the all-male college model in general is failing. Um, to what extent do you believe that that's true? Um, it's, it's failing in the sense that it's... Um, like I was saying, it's just the way I feel people are... The, the focus of current media has on masculinity among young men as, yeah. a, as a whole. Yeah. And like I said, it's focusing on the negative aspects of it as opposed to what is like non-toxic masculinity. Yeah. And that that's what I feel Leo's does a really good job of promoting and we're trying, like, I know they are trying to promote it further. That I feel like in today's society, young men need a place where they can build their identity yeah. and feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. And yeah, build those relationships with other men. It's important to do that and people kind of see the toxic elements of masculinity and look at um, look at a college as like a crucible for that to just build and just this toxicity yeah. to grow and manifest mm -hmm. yeah. in horrible ways and it's really not that's what it is like it's really not like that it, yeah I think I think a college is a really important and positive place for young men to grow. 
Yeah. So in summary, you feel like women probably would integrate fairly well, but ideally Leos would just remain all, all male. Yeah. yeah Is that it, it, the it, ideal it, outcome for you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it doesn't it doesn't affect me. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. No, um, no, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'd like to think, um, you know, if I was older and I had young sons heading off to university, I'd like to be able to send them to an all-male college. Okay. Um, over a college one. And it's not yeah. like, it, it, again, it's not anything against that, but if you, if you think it, Single-sex colleges in general are important, I think. Yeah. I think even at all, the all-girls colleges, it's still about in, you know, your post-adolescence, like, forming those relationships and those experiences and living them together. Yeah. It can really help you kind of come to terms with your own identity, and I think that's really important. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Well, that's all I have. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, thanks so much, Dan. That's all right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, I know most of the people listening to this are not going to be heads of colleges uh, or necessarily in any real position of power, but I just wanted to read for you something that we always put in uh, every edition of Semper in the Random Acts of Respect column, and that is uh, some words of wisdom that have sort of been passed down to us by Nina Fennell, who is the uh, author of the Red Zone Report, or one of the authors of the Red Zone Report, uh, and it's about how you can help creating a positive culture of sexual conduct. Um, the research shows that students are more likely to tell other students rather than the university administration about an incident of sexual assault. And it also tells us that the attitudes that somebody experiences on their first disclosure of a sexual assault can have a huge impact on how they recover. So if anybody ever discloses to you, uh, and they're very likely to, you're in a real position to help them with their issues. So try to remember the following phrases if somebody ever discloses to you. Firstly, I'm sorry this happened to you. Because what they hear is, I believe you. Phrase two, what happened is not your fault. Because what they hear is, you are not to blame. And thirdly, I'm going to do what I can to help you with this. Because what they hear is, you are no longer alone in this. Once again, those are handed down to us by Andre on Campus Australia, uh, and in particular, Nina Fennell, to whom Sempro is pretty much everything that it as an institution sort of knows about sexual assault and how to deal with it uh, and how we approach it. A special thanks for this episode to Steve Foley, to Dan, who I'm sure his friends are well aware of his last name, uh, also to Maddie Taylor, uh, who is always a wonderful co-host, and of course to Andre von Campus uh, Australia, who have been wonderful helps to Semper. Also, check out the work being done by the Sexual Assault Response and Prevention Unit at UQ. They're doing a lot of work around publicizing how to navigate UQ's framework for reporting sexual assault, and they've been working with Semper as well, publicizing our Random Acts of Respect column. Their website is respect.uq.edu.au. Uh, also, our uh, acoustic intro every episode is uh, a song called Acoustic Breeze. It's by a website called Bensound. That's B-E-N-S-O-U-N-D.com. Uh, I have to attribute to them in order to use their music, and of course I'm happy to do so because it's just very nice music. Uh, so if you enjoy listening to our intros, that's where you can find it. Uh, I hope you are enjoying lockdown and that uh, things get back to normal for you soon, uh, especially since it seems as though semester two is looking like it's going back uh, to at least some semblance of normality. Uh, hopefully nothing too crazy goes on uh, in terms of second outbreaks or anything like that. Have a lovely time.